Welcome to Sunday Night Service. So glad to have you. I've been thinking about uh, life lately, and, and I have several kids, and when we're standing around and hanging out, it's interesting the conversations that they get into, and they like to play video games. Uh, one of the games that they like to play is Minecraft, and if you're not familiar with this, it's a, it's a game where you get to build your own world, and you get to create things in there, and I find it interesting as I uh, will walk into a room and I don't know what they're talking about and they're, they're discussing things that at first don't seem to make sense to me and then suddenly I realize, oh, they're just discussing how to go through uh, things, how to accomplish things in that virtual world. And they find different uh, tricks and different um, tips that they give each other about how to do that and which... Um, items build the strongest bridges and how to do different things like that. And, and I kind of think about us and how we live in the world that God created and how I want this today's message to be a little bit about like tips, tips on how to get the most out of the world that God has created for us. And it's interesting that in the video game world, sometimes the creators of those worlds will do things. They will write into the code of the game what they call a cheat or a cheat code. And what it is, it's something that you would have never guessed. But if you do exactly what they say, then you get some sort of benefit. And I looked up a few of those cheat codes. And one of the games my, my kids have is, is a game that's, that's based on Star Wars. And they have a, a cheat. And let me give you an example. I'm not saying you need to go out and play the game, but just, just so you know what they're talking about. If you're playing the game and you pause, and then you push up, down, left, down, left, right, in that order, then your character becomes invincible. Now, how many of you would like to have that sort of co cheat code for our current life? Hey, if I just pause up, down, left, right, and then nothing can hurt me. I'm invincible to COVID. I'm invincible to, to sickness. And we recognize on one hand, that's kind of silly. God hasn't made that type of, of a cheat code. However, there are principles that God put in the Bible that I call them God's cheat codes. Why? Because they're counterintuitive. Just like pausing the game and, and pushing that certain, certain sequence of, of moves, no one would have expected in advance, well, that's going to benefit me. God has said, hey, there are some things that you can do that you will not guess will benefit you, but they will. And so I want to take some time and we're going to look at some of the cheat codes, some of the counterintuitive things that God has encouraged us as Christians to do and that he has tied blessing to. He has said, look, when you do this, I will do something for you. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. It says this, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That's not invincibility, but long life is still a pretty good perk. God says, if you honor 
your father and mother, which he commanded you to do, that it will go well with you and you will live longer. The world says the opposite. The world says, hey, your parents are probably to blame for most of your deepest issues. At best, they're irrelevant to your modern life. The only possible uh, remaining responsibility they have to you is to leave you an inheritance. That's the way the world looks at it. But God says, I challenge you. Look at this differently. Honor your parents. And then he says, I will make it go well with you. Well, what does it look like to honor your parents? One way, especially for younger children, is to obey your parents. Colossians 3.20 says, children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. But what about as an adult? I mean, you're not under their authority anymore. Uh, you know, you may have surpassed them now in how to, how to do the yard work and, and on your handyman skills and all of these things. You may say, you know what? I, I don't feel like they have uh, more knowledge than I do. How do I honor them if they're not giving me things to do, if I'm not obeying the things that they ask? The first thing is just value their opinion. Adult to adult, you don't have to obey what they've said, but you can value what they said. Hear them out. Thank them for it. Consider their needs and their desires. Speak well of them to your grandkids. Well, their grandkids, your kids. Why? Think about it this way. In, in our society, we consider it deplorable for a father who ignores his son. But a son who ignores his father is the norm. That shouldn't be the case. God says if we will honor our parents, he will step in. It may not seem connected to us. We may say, what does one have to do with the other? How does, how does the way I treat my parents have anything to do with my longevity? And God says, I created the world. I've put those two together. As strange as it may seem, honoring our parents, according to God, is a cheat code. Be thankful. Be thankful and grateful for what they've done. If they're not doing anything for you right now, be thankful and grateful for what they did for you in the past. If they're doing anything for you right now, if they're babysitting your kids while you work right now and in COVID and you don't have, wouldn't be able to do that because the regular childcare is closed, be grateful, be very thankful. Um, when, when I left home and went to college, uh, I remember... I think it was the first or second um, Father's Day that I was gone. I was out of the house. And I wanted to do something to uh, honor my father on Father's Day. And I remember I wrote him this poem. And then I called him up and I read it to him over the phone. Later, I had somebody uh, in college that could had neat handwriting to write it out in calligraphy. I sent him... Uh, a little plaque, and to this day, uh, 20-some years later, it is still on his wall. 
But this is, this is what I wrote, and I feel like it's a decent example of how we can honor our parents. I said, I'm just beginning to see the head start that you gave. You taught me about strength and how to be brave. The lessons you taught me when I was a child, still in my heart, are fully compiled. They come to the surface when least I expect. Each time that they do, I grow in respect. For the Father who taught me the meaning of life, the value of wisdom, and the dangers of strife. How to be serious and how to have fun. How not to quit till the whole job's been done. Thanks for the time and the money you spent. No man can measure the results full extent. Please know that I love you and always will. You have a place in my heart no one else can fill. Now, when I did that, I didn't know. That was the first time I'd ever written a poem for my dad, so I had no idea whether he would care, what he would think. I I don't remember his reaction uh, over the phone to be very profound. I later heard that he took that home, that I was off in college and he, he shared it with the congregation and, and got teared up, couldn't finish. And those of you who know him, he does not tear up very often. My point is that when we take a chance, when we step out and we do something for our parents, we may not even see the effect that it has on them, But also, God promises that our honoring of our parents, he, God, will ensure it has a positive effect on us. Let's look for another example of one of God's counterintuitive uh, principles. The world says, to be successful, that the more people that are below you, you, the higher you must be. The world says, nice guys finish last. The world says, if it is, went unseen, then it was of no value to you. But this is what God says. Matthew 23, verse 11 through 12, it says, The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James chapter 4, verse 6, and 1 Peter 5, 5, both say basically the same thing. They say, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Proverbs fifteen twenty five says, The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. Matthew 6, 1 says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This is another perfect example of how God, he then tells us, he says, look, I have built in a principle. When you try to exalt yourself, when you step forward in pride, pride comes before a fall. When I see someone who is pushing for themselves and for themselves only, I do not bless that person. But when I see someone who is willing to serve, God says that is who I will exalt. That is who I am going to lift up. That doesn't just apply in our personal lives. That applies even in the business world. So today, I I was going to use the example of the video cassette, the VHS, and the beta. 
but I realize too many people don't even remember that. Beta was a, a technology that was superior to the VHS in its quality, but the owners of that technology kept it to themselves, saying, we have a better product, it's going to be uh, better. VHS shared with others. They became more popular. And even though most of us don't have uh, VHS players anymore, uh, we know what they were. Beta, many people can hardly remember. Another example, Apple versus Android. Today, I just looked up the statistics. The market share is somewhere in the neighborhood of 85% of the world's phones are Android phones. And only about 15% are, are Apple worldwide. But Apple was there first. Some would argue that they may even have a better product. But Apple said, we're going to keep our stuff to ourselves. The Android platform said, we're going to make it available for others to use and to build on and to work on. It seemed as though by keeping what they had, they would do, be better off. But that's not the case. By giving, they grew. The Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. I mentioned this verse at the beginning when we were talking about the offering. This is another one of God's hidden codes, different counterintuitive principles that he has put into action that he says, listen, it may not make sense at the surface, but when you do this, you will trigger the supernatural. I will make sure that these principles uh, take root and are of benefit to you. Proverbs chapter 11, 24. One man gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and he only suffers want. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Proverbs chapter 11, 25 through 26. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. The Bible says, give and it will be given. How do we, what, what do we start with? How do, I, how do I start being generous? Well, the Bible says that the best starting place is with a tithe. God says in Malachi 3, 10, he says, bring the whole tithe. A tithe is a tenth. That's literally what it means. So bring the whole tenth into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. This, is, this I feel, is one of the ultimate counterintuitive principles that God has put into place. And he says, you may not expect this to work, but Test me. Jesus, God says, test me in this. Try me. Give a tenth and see 
what happens. He says, where do you give that tenth? He says, bring it to the storehouse. Bring it to the place where his name abides, where the word of God is being spoken. Go, do it. I double dog dare you to try. God says, test me in this. Is it because he wants you to have less? No. He says, I will bless you. Malachi 8, or 3, verse 8, says, Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? You ask, how do I rob you? In tithes and offerings. In God's perspective, everything is his. He gave it all to us, and he says, as a token of your understanding of the situation, give back to me a tenth, and then I will bless you for it. It doesn't make sense. Neither does, does pausing the game and hitting left, right, up, down, and I can't remember the sequence. <laughs> but those cheat codes, the different, God says, hey, you do this and I will bless you. It is, I, I, I don't want to stop and just give examples over and over on this, but there are so many things. I have seen this in my own life. Giving away um, little things and then receiving blessing. Giving away furniture and then being given furniture. Giving away uh, vehicles and then being given a vehicle. I, God, I, I think that he <laughs> is disappointed that more of us do not test him in that area, just like he asked. Give. He says, listen, if you will just do it, you are going to see so much blessing. He doesn't say, oh yeah, I'll do it. He says, you won't have room enough for it. I'm going to move on to another one. The world says what they know won't hurt. The world says the end justifies the means. The world says as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's okay. And as confusing as this may seem, the world says if he really meant it, it's true for him or her. But God says in John 8, 31, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Proverbs 16.8 says, A little gained honestly is better than great wealth, gotten by dishonest means. Here is the principle, and that is that God blesses honesty. We may see an avenue, a way to get to something, and we think, you know what? Hey, if I just fudge this, if I don't mention that, then I'm going to get a bigger tax return. If I don't uh, say anything about this, um, then you know they're going to give it back. Hey, the the person in the drive-through just gave me change for a ten with a twenty-dollar bill. If I just don't say anything, I'm going to drive away from here $10 richer. But 
God says the truth will set you free. He says that a little gained honestly is better than great wealth. There was uh, a few years back, there was a book that made it to the number one top sellers list in, in the New York uh, Times bestsellers list. It, I pardoned the, the, the title, um, but it was BS spelled out. Um, and this book was all about the author claiming, he says, that there is a new disregard for truth. We think of a liar as someone who is opposed to the truth. But now there's a new postmodern skepticism of objective truth. And he says, this person isn't opposed to truth. He just pays no attention to it at all. So think of it this way. If you ask me what color my car, uh, you know, my car is, I know my car is gray. And if I tell you that my car is green or, or purple, I would be telling you a lie. That is me opposing the truth. This author went on to, to talk about how in today's society, if, if someone brings up a car that drove by and you ask them what color was it, if they don't know, instead of saying, I don't know, they'll just say, it's green. Well, it might be green. It might be blue. They don't know. They honestly don't care. They just wanted to have an answer. So they're indifferent to the truth. And this is a sad state of affairs where we in our society have come to treat truth as peripheral, as unimportant. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't care. So I just said something. God says that we are to guard our mouths, that we are to speak the truth. Let our yes be yes, our no be no. Let the things that come out of our mouth be the truth. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, If you must choose, take a good name rather than great riches. For to be held in loving esteem is better than silver and gold. Proverbs 28, 13 says, A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Think about that for a second. That's another principle. I didn't even have that listed separately, but the idea that being wrong is the end. God says, no, it's okay to be wrong. In fact, when you admit to being wrong, that sets you up for another attempt. But when you refuse, it says a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. Proverbs 20 verse 17 says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be filled with gravel. All right, here comes another one. This is what the world says. The world says, do unto others as they do unto you. If someone does you wrong, you have a right to revenge. That's not what God says. 
Proverbs 24, verse 29. He says, do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay him back for what he did. God says, that's not the way that we are to live. Matthew 5, 43 and 48 says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. What is the godly response to being mistreated? Is it to stand up for yourself and sock them back? God says no. Why? Because when we have that sort of response, we're responding under the assumption that our enemy is the person in front of us. But God says we don't fight against flesh and blood. We have a spiritual enemy. God says love your enemy. Do good to those who spitefully use you. Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. This is one of those cheat codes where God says, do this and I will get involved on your behalf. He says, if you refrain from seeking personal revenge, God says, I will make sure justice is served. Romans chapter 12, verse 21 says, do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The world says, look out for number one because no one else will. But this is what God says. Matthew six thirty three. but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The world says, go, get all you can, put it in a can, sit on the can. But God says, no, seek first my kingdom and I will ensure that everything you need, you will have. What things? Matthew 6.31 says, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? God says, cast those cares on the Lord, Proverbs 55, 22, and he will sustain you. Does this mean ignore everything because God's going to work it all out in the end? No. It says put your trust in him. Proverbs 37, verse 3 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noon day. When we have a cause, when we seek justice, when we want to, God to see, uh, or the world, excuse me, to see that we are right, God says the way to do that isn't by attacking your enemy. He says, you love your enemy, then you leave it to me. You seek first the kingdom. Then he says, I will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday. 
Proverbs 28, verse 25 says, Grease causes fighting, but trusting God leads to prosperity. As we're wrapping up, I want to say one of the foundational principles, one of the foundational cheat codes of God that God has for us for living out this life is salvation. And that term to someone who grew up in the church means a lot. If you didn't grow up in the church, the word salvation, you may be like, salvation? I think isn't there a movie with that title. Uh, this is what it means. To be saved means to be forgiven. You see, we have all sinned, every one of us, big or small. It doesn't matter whether our sin is bigger than our neighbor's or not. We sinned. And that sin separates us from God. And with that separation, if we die separated by sin from God, then we cannot spend eternity with him. He sent Jesus. He died on the cross. He paid for that sin. The Bible says that it is only through the, the shedding of blood that sin can be forgiven. So Jesus shed his blood so that our sin could be forgiven. He died on the cross. The Bible says he rose from the dead and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says that if I believe in my heart, Jesus died on the cross, and confess with my mouth that he rose from the dead, I will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from that sin that separates me. I want to give you the chance, if you're here online with us today, to pray that prayer, to know that your sins are forgiven. It may seem counterintuitive, but knowing that God has forgiven your sins sets you on a totally different path in life. And let me assure you, it is well worth the while. So if you're willing, I want to ask you to repeat after me. Say, Dear God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I accept the forgiveness that you offer me. I choose to make you the Lord of my life. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I ask for your help to live a life committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen.